it's not highly skilled work we're not adding value in that it's just data processing so the first thing that I really wanted to remove was using our time to data process it just it wasn't adding the kind of value that, that I wanted to welcome to the failover plan podcast I'm Shane Matthew the practice of business continuity involves various methodologies and approaches but generally, most practitioners attempt to complete some form of one of the core activities we all know about, the Business Impact Analysis, or BIA. Now, the BIA involves gathering information about the critical functions and dependencies of the business units within an organization, which is then used in various ways, including plan building. Now, many programs attempt to complete this complex process through manual means, primarily spreadsheets and Word documents. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, Programs of increasing complexity and size may need a more efficient way, but also may not be ready for the investment into a robust business continuity software tool. This week on the podcast, we're going to speak with a practitioner who's faced this challenge, but didn't back down when she saw that a BC software wasn't in the cards. We're going to speak with Michelle Whitlock-Marks, who is the Resilience and Business Continuity Manager at Transport for London. Michelle's decided that if she couldn't buy an off-the-shelf program, that she was just going to make her own. Her first attempt involved using SharePoint, but since then she's developed several improvements and a few weeks ago she unveiled her latest version of her homegrown business impact analysis tool to our community. This version is powered by Microsoft's Power Apps, which are an off-the-shelf tool many companies use to create homegrown applications for their teams. Michelle was able to harness Power Apps to create a tool that walks users through the BIA and allows them to capture their team's data, along with some interesting ways she's developed to help them qualify impacts of loss. So I wanted to invite her on the show to understand her development process and give you a chance to see if this is something you'd like to explore further for your programs. As always, make sure to subscribe to the show through iTunes and other podcast sites. We're tracking towards our goal of hitting the 200 member mark on our LinkedIn page. So we're asking our listeners to take a moment to find us on LinkedIn and join it. So you can always get the latest updates on new episodes and show topics that are coming up. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. Um, so the reason I have Michelle on today as I've mentioned, is is just simply the unique perspective she's taken on displaying some of the work that she's crafted. And, and it's uh, it's uh, always great to see when professionals are willing to share what they've done, good and bad. And that's the premise of the show here. We have the failover podcast is not just about the technical sides, but also the fact that when we learn something good, we want to be able to share it with others. And so Michelle did a video a couple of uh uh, is it now weeks, I guess? Yeah, since, the weeks since you ago. Posted yeah. It. yeah, that really got me uh, uh, an opportunity to see her work. But before we get into it, I really kind of want to understand, and I think, I'm sure the listeners do too, what, Michelle, how did you get into business continuity? This is always a fun story for me to find out from, <laughs> from my guests because it's never the same. Absolutely. Um, I don't think anyone grows up thinking, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a business continuity manager. Um, right. I certainly didn't. Um, I actually thought I was going to do my nurse training. 
and um, I had been going through some university prospectuses looking at the courses and by chance I was in Coventry's prospectus and I found a course emergency and disaster management and I had been in Australia the year before on a gap year working traveling and I'd heard of emergency management and I looked at the course content and I started my application immediately. Um, I threw nursing out the window and went, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't say I've regretted that a day since. Uh, it was that's a phenomenal course. I don't think very many people get to say that they're degree qualified in disaster management. Um, <laughs> well, most people say their career started yeah. with disaster or <laughs> has ended up that way. So this is good. <laughs> it really is. And I have achieved so much more than I ever could have imagined. I have worked with some truly fantastic people. I have obviously been involved in, in loads of, of, of different events, some good, some bad. Um, but I, like nursing, I I still feel like I'm, I'm doing something that's that's positive, that's, that's helping people. Yeah. Um, so I never really lost that, but I, I gained so much more. And even now, I am still so keen to learn that I am doing my master's uh, in security and resilience and oh, at Imperial. So I, I've just never lost the will to, to learn about this. It still interests me, you know, over 10 right. years on um, <laughs> in my career. Wow. Yeah. So that, that, is, that is an excellent story. I mean, like the fact that you're constantly learning is, is vital to our industry. We always have to be uh, looking at the trends and changing and improving. So that's that's pretty interesting. So with the organization you work for now, yeah. I got a chance to actually use the services uh, last year when I was in the <laughs> the UK. But tell us tell us a little bit about your company that you currently work for. So for the last four years, coming up to five years, I've worked for Transport for London. And um, you probably have seen if you've been to, to London at all, um, or actually anywhere in the UK, it's, it's quite ubiquitous now. Uh, it's the very distinctive roundel that we have. Um, but I think there is a bit of a common misconception that all we do is kind of London underground. And um, I want to burst that very quickly because we are definitely <laughs> more, more than London yeah. Underground yeah so um we've got buses we've got the dri the driverless Docklands Light Railway we look after the roads the traffic lights we have a ferry service river taxis overground trains we do the taxi licensing cycle hire we have a dialer ride transport service for anyone oh that can't goodness. actually use our, our our usual services because they've got a, a disability or, or an additional need um yep we have we're also running some of the world's largest um engineering projects in crossrail just just for one of them um so yeah we are a, a massive very complex very large wow. organization um and we have thousands of staff so yeah, yeah. there is never a dull moment and in, in income generation as well, because we no longer receive a grant for the government from what we do, or we didn't before COVID, slightly different now, but um, we also have, we're advertising, we, we've got a huge amount of, of London, obviously, from, from buses to train stations, yeah. we generate a lot of our income through, through advertisement, um, and we've also got kind of property development, and on top of that, we run quite a few of our own offices uh, and some of that space we rent out to other government agencies so wow. 
we are huge and very complex. So, so very small mom and pop type of operation here. So <laughs> just a few cars, few buses. Yeah. <laughs> so just basically it moves. It's, it's, Michelle, oh, yeah. <laughs> Michelle is probably involved in that monitoring or making sure it works smoothly. That's, that's, that's pretty neat. So, okay. So when it comes to your program though, is it focused exclusively on business continuity or does it include other things? What's your scope of your your work my my work is is interesting because it's not just business continuity i also look at the resilience of the organization um so there's there's a bit of a kind of almost a 50 50 split and it just depends on what i'm doing to um to what i'm, I'm focusing on really in in the time we've got quite a small team and it's um the organization is split broadly into three areas uh, so we've got the professional and those kind of support services you've got london underground as its own kind of business unit and then we've got surface transport which is anything else that moves um i forgot we even have an airline we have a not quite oh, wow. <laughs> it's called emirates airline but it's um cable car across the thames as well so we we think of we touched every transport boat there. <laughs> wow. I don't want to even know the business continuity plan for that going down. I tell you what, but... I had fun writing it because I managed to travel back and forth on it about five times uh, during the conversation I had with <laughs> with the team as we were writing that. That, that was right? the, the best. That was probably the highlight of my yeah, business okay. Well, I'll take it back then. Yeah, that might have been neat to write that, <laughs> to experience that as you're uh, crafting a strategy. <laughs> So, okay. So you, you obviously you're overseeing multiple components with a large scale organization. It's not a simple task. Uh, as you're looking at business continuity as a portion of your responsibility, where does the BIA fit in? Cause we, we're here today to talk about your very interesting uh, approach to developing a tool around the BIA, but, but, but as a, as a program as a whole, you know, how, how dependent are you on the BIA or how did it start um, with your organization? So I have to admit, when I first came into the organization, um, it had been done a couple of years beforehand and it had lost its, its relevance. Um, it wasn't being used anymore. So for a couple of years after, what we were having is people filling in their, their plans and arrangements, but you we weren't really able to challenge them very much at all because they were telling us what they needed but we didn't have the the impact base kind of information to to then contrast it against you know what you're asking mm. here from a, a recovery kind of perspective and what you're saying you need is that actually the case from the impact if we lost you to tfl versus all of these other very critical things that we do so it, right. it'd been quite disconnected in the program and that was mainly because it was a a very manual paper-based process where we would send people word documents they would fill them in send them back to us we would then have to create a, a separate kind of set of reports um, we would then have to collate all that information together deliver it back get it validated signed off and it had taken almost two years beforehand to get that but done for the whole organization um, right. And when organizations start moving on quite quickly, uh, we transformed not long after I got into the organization, um, a, a very large transformation. Um, everything that was really kind of written before suddenly oh, wow. wasn't yeah. valid for the organization as it now stood. Um, and we had lost a lot of kind of organizational knowledge and some of the people that had filled it in. 
So mm-hmm. we ended up in a kind of way where we couldn't really send this document back out because we were basically starting from scratch again. You know, we knew what it had taken the last time with people that actually knew the area. Was it going to even take even longer if, if we got new people in? Or it's, it's a completely new area of the business now. And so we're like, we didn't think that that was, that was going to add the value that we were hoping it was going to, even though it's such a key part because we were missing that kind of, can, can we challenge this? Can we, can we put it in line with something else? So, yeah. So the data was not up to par. No. And uh, so the methodology that was used in the past, was it a manual format? Yeah. So it was, it was sends out a Word document, uh, put it into a bigger Word document put some of it into an excel document and uh yeah it's it, like one of the the, the russian yeah, dolls russian doll of the, um, <laughs> and i know that we wouldn't be alone in that there are there are people out there that have very very similar systems and they they can work and, and you know I, i've seen them work elsewhere but when you get to to bigger more complex organizations where you have less and less resource they become very resource draining in themselves but right it, it's not highly skilled work we're not adding value in that it's it's just data processing so the first thing that i really wanted to remove was using our time to data protest process it just wasn't it wasn't adding yeah, the value that that i wanted right. to um so i started yeah. to have a look what we did have um and what we did have you know the, the skeleton was there it was it, it was good but it was just too manually intense. So it was looking for systems and processes and ways of, of making that work to, to do the, the automate all of the data processing and still get the information that we needed out of the other side. Ah, okay. And I, I thought there was kind of two main paths we could go. Um, we could kind of continue on with what we were doing, or we could find a, a beef baker <laughs> off the shelf system. And very quickly, I realized for an organization, the scale of TFL, the complexity of TFL, it would have to be in some way, shape, or form bespoke. And so, did you, did you look into yeah, purchasing software? Yeah, we, we had a we had a look. I went to um, I usually go to business consumer. Am I allowed to say other areas of? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the business um, continuity institute. They're, they're, yeah, if they come well- after me, I'll, I'll yeah. send them to your house. It's not a big deal. <laughs> um, I. I went to their conferences talked to a a load of different suppliers um looked at the the amazing systems that are out there but just realized that in you know the current climate with how long it can take to to get things through all of the right kind of organizational procedures and hoops and get it bespoke and licensed it, it started kind of adding up and I was looking at kind of the cost of another person within my team getting in a whole new person. I was like, you had to kind of trade off. Yeah, there, there has to be a way in between. Um, right. And so I first started with SharePoint. So you immediately went to the idea like I, I can't afford this. This is too uh, costly right now for me. Part, partially, yeah. Although it would have an ongoing cost. Um, right. But there right, would be right, right. quite a bit of development. There was a lot of hoops that I was going to have to jump through within the organization. And it, it just seemed like the time scale was getting longer and longer. I was watching a colleague of mine trying to put into place, you know, an off the shelf cloud system. And it, it was going round and round the organizational right. merry-go-rounds almost in, in some respects because, it, you know, cybersecurity was challenging, information security was challenging because we're bringing something completely new into the business. And we had to make sure right. it played nicely with everything. 
So I was like, well, what do we have already in the business? Um, what what tools do I have available to me that are just there? Um, and so the first thing I found was, was SharePoint. Um, and I started developing this, um, my, my first prototype from, from Excel was into SharePoint where I used um, InfoPath to create a slightly interactive form that, that captured all that information um, and started putting it into um, the databases really for us. Which so you're great. sitting in your garage tinkering away <laughs> at this on your own in, in the in the lab, <laughs> or did you have help? Um, did you know all this on your own? No. Um, the The first part of SharePoint was completely self-taught. I come from the NHS where wow. I was aware of it, but we didn't have it. So um, I was a bit excited to have a new toy, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so I tinkered around to see how much I could break it. Um, yeah. Then I turned to uh, the person two desks down to me, um, pre-COVID world, and went, you do this for something else could you just explain x y and z to me yeah um then i managed to pull together a, a bit of a kind of requirements document and we went internally to our kind of sharepoint experts and asked them to help us pull it together and in a month or two they had they had, they had done it and they had made wow. a, a really amazing product for us um, so this was entirely within the the sharepoint sharepoint environment right and and there is is it have data analytics in SharePoint that because uh, I you know again we're going to be definitely linking the video that Michelle had created but tell us a little bit about the analytics side. This first one didn't have that analytics. Oh, that, was, okay. that was where it fell down. Was that SharePoint then couldn't really do too much with it and it became quite manual again. Oh, um, so we we then had to take it and put it ourselves into an Excel. So. It was kind of there, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. Where I really wanted to be was a one-stop shop for people. Uh, I wanted, right. if I get so little of people's time, because they're understandably busy, and now more than ever, they're more busy than <laughs> they have been probably before, because we're not we're not only dealing with a, a crisis that is you know, unprecedented in our lifetime, but we're also dealing with a whole new way of working. Um, so this was all within the last few months then? Um, so the, the recent one, yes, but this is this has been a project that I've been doing for the last ah, three years. <laughs> this, is, this is your passion project that it you've been my, working it on. It's my passion project. Um, so I went from SharePoint to um, when we switched over to Office 365 uh, just a year, over a year ago, I got into Power Apps. And there is quite a, a learning curve to power apps and to be honest i'm not very good at it <laughs> <laughs> i'm not and i can't you claim credit out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> for the the beautiful system that you will see in the link to the video um is me working with somebody with self-taught skills <laughs> on power oh, apps okay. um in in my team and i was very fortunate when i i turned around to my manager and said look i proved the proof of concept this is just taking what we already have and making it 10 times better because now it does all the analytics um and if we ask the right questions if we we bolt on a few more questions we can take the data that we were usually capturing in a plan and asking them to do separately we can mm. make it now automatically generate it takes those questions it puts them into the right thing pops out a PowerPoint at the other uh, PDF at the other end uh, right, of right. your plan. And you've only given me one lot of data and one lot of time. Um, 
I can then have a discussion with you and go through any contingency arrangements that I think you might be missing, any areas of vulnerability you might have highlighted. I can, you know, clearly see what the impact to the organisation would be if I lost that area. I, I've just opened up this whole mirage of <laughs> information right. and, and um, kind of business intelligence that I just didn't have access to before, or I did, but I couldn't display in a way that made it useful for these conversations yeah. i can just i can imagine uh, aladdin's uh, a whole new world playing in the background yeah, as you're, very you're, you're much like this. That. <laughs> you've discovered a new land of information that's pretty that's it, that's 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 a wonderful feeling it really to be able is. to do that um and yeah. i was i was so excited that i'd managed to get all of this in place that i wanted to share it with others because i've been that that person that's got the the, the word document the excel document you know, yeah. can't quite, for whatever reason, get the, the off the shelf thing, whether it would just not work for the business or whether you don't have the budget or, you you know, you don't have the support for it or, you know, there's so many other constraints on your budget, you just can't stretch to that. Right. I wanted there to be a middle ground. And when I'd finally found it, I wanted to tell everyone that <laughs> <laughs> there can, there are other ways of, of doing this. There are some amazing tools that have been released. Um, where really what if as long as you can imagine it as long as you can put it into some sort of process diagram you can probably create it right and that yeah technology has definitely become more accessible to us you know meaning you know the when, when i first started in in the industry i i was in the similar vein you know just kind of just plugging along with manual processes and it it, it worked but you're right technology has improved vastly and now there's more um customization that you can make with the tools available as opposed to having a software developer sitting in a darkened room and coming up with <laughs> a, a series of uh, codes for you. Now, now the, obviously were there, were there challenges to the, the development phase for you? Like, or, or did it just kind of flow naturally as you were, you know, kind of coming up with this vision and helping getting the help from your colleague? So I think actually the development hasn't been as difficult as as potentially it would have been we were very fortunate that we had already created um our application for our building passes is on the same system now so we had already kind of developed that before so we had a kind of an understanding of limitations right. and, and some of the pitfalls which was great that was that was very useful and then it kind of turned more into making sure that we get the right data from people. And I think yeah. business continuity professionals, we know our kind of RTOs and MTPD and every, we, we have a lot of lingo um, that actually when you play it back to people, doesn't, doesn't quite. Like, doesn't resonate at all. Yeah, doesn't, it, 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 it does stop resonating. Um, and unfortunately um, I had, I had done things that, I knew ticked the right boxes for, you know, the ISO or to follow the good practice guidelines. And then when I gave it to people to test, I wasn't getting back the information I thought I should be. And then, you know, discussing it with these early, these early testers and, and people that had given their time to, to help me develop this system and, and to, you know, to, to use it for me so I could find right. out what was there. Um, even something simple as I was asking, what what products and services do you deliver? And thinking, of course that that's that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes everybody sense. should know that. And everyone's going, oh, I just didn't know what to write there. 
So I changed. I yeah. suggested that you know, how about I use kind of objectives or something along those. I changed it to what are your high level objectives. I get exactly what I'm after, but it resonates more with the organisation. And I think it's just to be very cognizant yeah. of what we know as as professionals and and what we can, you know, the lingo we throw around at each other and we totally understand doesn't really get understand understood well by the business and actually making sure that we're breaking down the questions in such a way that they mean something and we get the right data yeah. back because for me this is a guided questionnaire um i'm asking them to do it so i can then have a really good in-depth conversation with somebody rather than starting from nothing and having to spend a lot longer with somebody which is a lot of draw on my time and my team's time but also a lot of draw on their time so if i can come in with a base level of, of kind of knowledge and information i can really start finding the areas i can add the value which is mainly around have you identified anything that, that could be a vulnerability and right in, what, in some way can we fill that you know do we need a contingency arrangement that is missing do we need a backup that isn't there what what is is then we're, we're looking at and we're focused and before we yeah. are just trying to gather a huge amount of information. yeah you're trying to just get as much as you can yeah. with the limited time you have right so, now okay so so who are the people that are currently you know using your your system that you created are these department leaders are these more people with operational knowledge um, on the front lines how do how do you use this system so we are fortunate in a way that our frontline staff um so our business continuity arrangements cover about 80 percent of the business uh, there or thereabouts the rest of it is very operational focused and they have their own defined contingency and emergency arrangements that are handled by a separate team um so what we've got is mainly kind of support projects your kind of um income generating areas of the mm -hmm. business um your hr your support services so what we're the people that are filling it in then are either heads of services uh, head of department um team leaders there there's some form of kind of manager or senior manager role um so Sometimes we get it kind of cascaded down. There's nothing to stop them in the system doing this. Although once you've managed to explain it to them, they can understand why you're asking for a certain level to fill this in initially. Um, so it's it's getting the balance right of, of making sure you've got the person that can actually answer that best. Um, right. Because if you, right. if you delegate it down too far um, to an assistant, they might not know what the, you know, it might not have that bit of a picture piece that knows that you know stop that activity that harm might happen stop that activity and actually these wider people rely on it you're suddenly going to have a huge reputational impact right um so I, i'm asking that because it does it does the system that you created did you did you have a certain technical capability necessary to do this or is this largely just Nope. If you can fill in a can, film, can, <laughs> you could. If you can do fill it. out a form, oh, you can, yeah. then you're going to be okay. But you do need the business knowledge. Um, so right. the the barrier isn't isn't technical. Um, anyone in the organisation can click onto that link and start filling it in. Um, yeah. The the barrier is making sure that you have the right organisational knowledge, and it becomes quite queer quite quickly when you look at the results at the other end and we just get to see a huge long list um, right. where you've potentially got somebody that's that's filled it in on behalf of somebody else and not got it quite correct 
we can actually go talk to that manager and say, I don't think you've given us the level of detail we require and it can just be overwritten. Uh, it doesn't, we, we keep the the keep the data for long enough to, to comply right. with regulation, but we, um, right. we only ever show the most up-to-date. Uh, Excellent. Version. So, so, you know, so again, I, I probably should have phrased this up for listeners um, at the beginning, but you know, the, the basic premise seems to be that you would fill out an online questionnaire, like most like BIAs that we know yeah. it's obviously based on a web-based system within your organization. And then there's questions that uh, as people answer them, they can have free text and uh, selection boxes, again, all crafted with Michelle's handiwork uh, and her team's handiwork um, in-house. And then uh, then ultimately there's an analytics compo- compo- component excuse me, uh, that helps uh, you kind of look at the data holistically and you created all that together in this one system yes so what was your intention because i think that's the big part a lot of people struggle with is okay i have manual processes now i'm I'm putting in a software or a tool that i've created you know i think the biggest hurdle is people saying well what information do i want to see at the holistic level or what information do i want to draw out specifically in my reporting how did you approach that 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 question i think maybe it's um it's a bit of a a dyslexic trait i i started with the scorecard that i wanted to show people at the end of it um yeah i I was like what what data do i want to sit with a, a senior manager of staff where i only have a certain you know very protected time space with them probably not going to get them again for another year what can I show them that's going to make the most impact um what's going to what do they want to see what do I want to show them and and what sparks the best discussion so I actually started with the scorecard and worked a little bit backwards probably not everyone would have taken that tact it just the way my mind worked was okay yeah if I can produce this product what do I need to then add in to start with yeah. start with the end in mind as a, as a <laughs> philosophy many take and that's a smart move so for you what did you think was going to be the data or the score on your scorecard that would resonate the most with these executives i wanted two really clear scores the first one was what their risk to tfl as an organization would be based around those kind of impact um, metrics. And we have six you will see in the the video, starting from kind of harm to life, uh, whether we would stop our our operations, whether we would cost money down to environment. So those those scorings kind of uh, calculated and added up into a kind of, this is where you sit from a a kind of a TFO overarching perspective in the way of impact of loss. And then the second one was, what's the likelihood of, of, disruption basically what's what's your risk there and that was a, a couple of different metrics and so the first one is is how much preparedness you've you've done with you, your team the kind of the response bit which is some kind of strongly agree to strongly disagree for for six key areas um mm-hmm. and then it's looking at the dependencies for your your staffing your uh, applications your equipment and each one of those is, is scored when you either put in that you've got a specific bit of equipment that you rely on and then we ask whether you've got backup or whether you've got a contingency arrangement and if you start saying no to those the scoring starts going high very very quickly um, Ah. because that's where the vulnerability lies at the end of the day um, is that you not only have got this 
this impact if we just lost you no matter what's what's happened you you've just stopped as, as a business unit business area but you've mm-hmm. also got these are the bits that you're reliant on and you're telling us that you've got staff skills and there is an alternative or you haven't you haven't got a, a contingency arrangement for them we can then start drilling in at that level and showing it on a dashboard and being able to show it against where other areas of you know that person might have six different teams that have filled this in you can show that you know this is a team i'm not particularly worried about because it's low impact and they haven't highlighted any vulnerabilities this is a team i am concerned about because they're high impact to tfl and look you know they've said this about staffing they said this about equipment you know does this need to be escalating the fact as you know this activity is potentially not in the right place should we should we be looking at the activity itself or should we just be looking at what we can add in to make sure that we've got backup we've got contingency or we you know we know why we should be spending something to, to fill that gap because we've just identified vulnerability and that's where i wanted to get to those are the kind of conversations i wanted to have with people but i couldn't because i i couldn't show them the data yeah. I, I can give them this one pager with you know some nice colors on it but showed of course this is this is this is a glaring red risk it makes so much difference to be able to have colors on a piece of paper it does to show. It, it does it really does because you're right when you're meeting with executives or when you're trying to make the case for making big changes you know they don't have a lot of time to process all the information they're relying on you yeah. to come and do the analysis and tell me tell me what i need to know and and that's a really interesting way to display that now the formulas that you came up with, like, did you come up with them on your own from previous work or did you get this kind of thought through working with others? Um, There's got to be a lot yeah, of formulas behind there the scenes. There are a lot like of that. formulas. Um, I was very fortunate that I put a post out on LinkedIn that said, could people help me with with what I'm trying to achieve? Can people just, I'm going to walk you through it. Can you tell me what you think I'm missing? Yeah. By having those conversations, it, it really hit me how much, I really wanted, I thought it was the right way of doing it, but it really clarified it for me that actually the weightings for the scoring and the calculations really had to be around the vulnerabilities rather than the activities itself. The area can't stop themselves, the activities they're doing. That's that's right. an organizational, that's a top level decision. So I can't right. penalize the area for, for having, you know, activities that if disrupted would, would really impact the organization. I, I can really get them up high on that list because they've got other vulnerabilities. So making that the case and talking it through with my peers and being able to say, you know, am I going crazy? Does this actually work? Do you think I'm still kind of within the good practice guidelines? I'm still within the ISO. You know, I I, I do yeah. sometimes look at things at a slightly <laughs> Michelle level, I think sometimes. <laughs> It's okay to be a little uh, obsessive compulsive <laughs> around this area if that's what uh, proves some success there. Um, it's okay. And the other thing that I wanted to move away from, and again, I talked to someone about how we could potentially get the activities in. And then they shared an example of their work where they they were getting the ranking of the activity based on where else it had kind of come up in the so they weren't asking them automatically to rank them if i just asked the question please rank your activities in kind of impact order it would be actually quite subjective um and i don't think the same two people would probably come up with the same list i think maybe the top three would be round about there but i thought 
you know, I like the idea of, of actually just them listing and then through the rest of the system, it starts doing the calculation as to, oh, I've seen that in harm and I've seen that same activity in finance and oh, I've seen the same activity in reputation. That starts developing its own unique score and that's how it goes up and down the rankings list. Ah, oh, my goodness. So that is amazing. That was really important to me because I then started to take away some of the subjectivity and we can't we can't take away all of the subjectivity in this. It's always going right. to be it's it's always going to be someone's interpretation of, of of their area. But doing little bits like that really helped because one, it took the pressure off the, the person thinking, well, is this my number one or is this not my number one? And then having to really put a lot of brain power into it. It was just like, oh, my activity is that, 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 that and that. That. That's amazing that you thought through that because that is a, a huge hurdle that many people face is the subjective aspect to this profession. Sometimes the answers we get are entirely dependent on the person that's saying them to us that day and their experiences and what they have exposure to. So you've addressed that to some extent, obviously, in this this uh, yeah. this endeavor. Now, um, I was, I was going to ask you about the the experience of the users, you know, and, and, and obviously this speaks to that, that the idea that they don't have to weigh things very heavily. They just have to list them in some places, but overall, what has been the outcomes that you've seen have, have uh, really, you received? Uh, yeah. So the, I haven't got a whole load of, uh, I haven't got an inbox full of like, why are you making me do this? Which is, is always good. Or <laughs> it's always a good sign. Full of excuses as to why people can't do this, which is the other, other side of the coin there. Um, yeah. So people seem to be embracing it. Those that have done it seem to have come back to me and said, oh, there's some bits that I'd never, never thought of. Um, the thing that I haven't yet shown them, which I, I hope will give them even more to, to think this is this is a useful thing to be doing, is I haven't given them the scorecards back yet. I haven't ah, given okay. them the, um, the ranked uh, activities and I definitely haven't given them their online plans um so there's there's a few more goodies that they they haven't received so if I haven't been completely flamed uh with just the system yeah. itself I, I think I'm on kind of a, a bit of a better winning streak here than, <laughs> than I was so, before when I was bombarding them with word documents to fill in and um right then chasing them for six months to get them back right right so uh it, you know, obviously, you know, you, you, your post on LinkedIn around your BIA, you, you ended up doing a video recording where you walked people through the BIA tool that you've created. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that. Like, why did you decide to, to do that? I mean, obviously, we're talking today because of that. And, and I, I love to, to talk <laughs> to people who are willing to share their stories. Um, but so tell me, walk me through that video. Why, why did you decide to do that? It was it was a kind of um, nine o'clock one evening. I was replying to someone that had, that helped me, and I went, "You know what? What I really need to do is is show people there is this third way um, that you don't you don't have to think that you, all you're ever going to get is the word document, and or you're going to have to get an off the shelf that might not quite work, but it's it's there that you you can be a little bit creative. Um, I, I I really wanted people just to see another view because I hadn't seen it before I had to go find it myself and I I really wanted to start a bit of a discussion really and I thought the best way of doing it because my the peer feedback had been so good was that oh, I've just captured you know five or six people that I've managed to walk through the system 
you know, what happens if I could just reach a couple more? Um, would that change anything? And then suddenly somebody from, I hope they don't mind, Serco then contacted me and said, actually, we're trying to do something very similar. And one of our developers in-house has said, you know, I think you're probably best off doing power apps. And then I found your video. It's amazing. That's exactly what we wanted to do. And that was the kind of discussion I wanted to yeah. kind of bring to the table that kind of, you know, we might not have to be brilliant at it, but it's not creating a whole new bit of software. It's using a tool that's out there to help us the same way as that we've done with Microsoft Word and Excel, because before them, I don't know what was there, but there would have been something. <laughs> paper and pen and rocks. <laughs> we, had to, we had to draw it in the sand when the, uh, the caveman did business continuity. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. It, it, users will have, a, or listeners will have a chance to uh, see your video. I'll definitely link to it. And I strongly urge you to connect with Michelle and learn more as she goes through this journey. So, Michelle, would you would you promise to come back after you get your plans and your scorecards out? We'd love to hear more about how it's received uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Failover Plan podcast. You can find out more about Michelle Whitlock-Marks by visiting our website, failoverpodcast.com. There you'll find several links, including Michelle's video explaining the tool she created and some sample scorecards she posted as well. This week, join our LinkedIn group. You can find us by going to linkedin.com slash company slash failover podcast. And thanks again for listening. And remember, why learn how to do something on your own when there's got to be someone else who may have already learned this the hard way?